morning, good morning. Awesome. Well, uh, man, I just want to say thank y'all so much for being here. Y'all look amazingly better with the lights on. It just is something that just continues to grow and grow, see it week after week. Also, I want to um, just say, you know, next week, you may have noticed some cards in your seat. You may have been seeing something that looks like this, says no other name. That's yours. That's yours to pass out. That's yours to remind you, inviting people. That's where we're going, getting ready in the pre-Easter season. I just want to tell you, if just in case you ever invite people and you're like, man, they're just like tired of hearing me. I want to tell you, right now, all the way from here to Easter, it's just church knowledge right here. I've been around a long time. There's some things that, that I've learned along the way from here to Easter. If there's people you've been praying for and people you've been looking for, this is absolutely your best time ever of the year to invite. Because they're already leaning toward it anyway and kind of leaning towards that direction. Awesome. Today we're in a, a last week of a series called Overcomer. Guys, pause. Sound booth. I need your attention for just a moment. I figured out our heating problem. That thing on this side is blowing heat. Will you turn that unit off? Are y'all hot? Yeah. yeah. The airs have been rocking, rocking, rocking. I can feel the heat coming off of it. The one point in that way. Awesome. See, look, life just got better, right? So, you know, I, I want to just, man, celebrate the teams who have, who have spent the, they've spent a lot of hard time this weekend uh, just redoing stage sets and things. Also, just preparing for the drama. Come on, can we give it up for the youth? So good. And also, right after, please don't leave without getting some eats and treats and some friends to meet. So uh, if you came in, you smelled the burgers grilling and everything, uh, we, believe it or not, just kind of flip, keep flipping through the patties. One of them's got your name stamped on it. It's yours. Use your imagination, though. Use your imagination when you're looking. I want to uh, kind of dig in and roll with it. My name is Danny. I get to do a lot of talking around here. So uh, I need to get to my talking. But I do have one more celebration. Can we celebrate one more thing? Yeah? I'm, I'm a little thrown off this morning. Forgive me, my coffee's kind of rolling backwards. Um, we are getting ready to launch a true online campus. It's cool, which would mean to, let me explain this into your world. So a lot of, right now we do live stream. Right now we, uh, we've been doing this for quite a few years, and we've seen people that, that, are, that give their lives to Christ, who get involved in the church, who do things locally and, and way beyond here, who get involved uh, because of it reaches them through online. Uh, one of the guys got saved last summer is out there grill up through online is out there sa uh, serving grilling up some hamburgers for you guys right now. Yeah, uh, we've, we've seen quite a few testimonies happen and I love that right now uh, the story that I'm passed on that's been told to me is there's somebody in Wyoming that's getting baptized today because of what happens online here. Is that awesome or what? And that is because somebody here shared a video, connected, boom, somebody get a life of Jesus, and they're taking the next step and getting plugged in. So because these are the kind of stories, and we know so many more that can come, we are uh, playing actually a true online campus, which would have a, like, a literal campus pastor online, and uh, it would engage and share testimonies all on the front side while we're high-fiving and saying our hellos, and then we'd come into the worship experience with you guys, and then it would zip out at the end and have a true altar call and engagement right there with the people. And so what would happen to do that we're looking to transition and cannot absolutely wait so I'm just asking you if you would please pray for us as we're working to get equipments and the logistics and everything in place also if that just stirs a passion in you in the front of the scenes or behind the scenes kind of way um, 
just let us know. Let us know through sign up through Growth Track. Let us know through some kind of avenue here, ASAP. And we'd love to plug you in on the team. So, as we continue, let me ask you, I wonder if anybody here ever had a problem in life. You know, life would be really hard if we believed any single moment was the determination of our, the rest of our life. Like, what I mean is this. It's more like if any single moment or any single physical uh, result experience, if it was just any one single moment and we made a prediction over what the rest of our life would be like because of that one moment. I mean, can you imagine? Consider this. Let's go down a goofy journey for a minute. Can you imagine if like you had one sleepless night, you just decided, you know what, life is just not worth living anymore. If this is the way it's going to be, I'm not putting up with it anymore, I'm out. If life was just worthless because you just said, I will never sleep again. I didn't sleep last night, it's never going to happen again. Can you imagine like a newlywed to get divorced because someone put the plates on the wrong side of the cabinets if I got any real OCD people in the house? And the other, you know what, and the other spouse just decided, said, if that's the way it's going to be, you should know where the plates go by now, I'm done. That'd be ridiculous. I mean, can you imagine a parent cleaning a dirty diaper for a kid? And then just to give up all hope and throw everything out the window for the rest of their life because the kid dirtied the diaper again and said, this is not what I was planning on. I will, I, you aren't supposed to have another one the rest of your life. I mean, can you imagine... Telling the first grader who comes home with a C on the report card, you might as well just quit now. It ain't going to get any better. If this is where you are, it's all downhill. Just quit, sign your resignation, and deal with it. Can you imagine a, a car running out of gas? And you just leave it on the side of the road because that, in your mind, I put gas in it one time. That should be enough. I didn't get this car, so I had to keep always putting more into it, more into it, more into it. If it's not going to work right, I'm out. I mean, it all sounds a bit silly, right? But isn't it funny how we think any of these situations would be a completely dumb viewpoint? We think, how stupid. Yet when we take that same logic, and it seems so reasonable in our life of when we're talking about leaning on the trust and the hope of a Savior. Like, have you ever wondered why God would let something happen to you? Has anybody in here ever had the, like, the why me God? Why would you let this happen to me? I mean, how is it, you know, or perhaps you, you just wanted to throw things in because you thought it was just so unfair of all people for this to happen to. I don't deserve it. How unfair. Never mind the fact that he gave his son and perhaps gave up and more, he gave up more than any of the rest of us and maybe we just gave up an hour or maybe we gave up, you know, we read our Bible one day or we put a little money in the pot or we helped somebody. Oh, and we're so worthy. And never mind the fact that he gave his life on our behalf. How is it that if, a chi if the child acts bad or the job lets us go or the car runs out of gas or the plates are in the wrong place or God doesn't do everything the way we want it to be done when we want it to be done, how is it in our mind we wind up the victim and God turns into the villain and anybody else that is in that path becomes a villain? Why? I'm, I'm serious. I mean, why are we... Why are we so often not recognized enough to be the heroes that we deserve? Because, see, the true story would be it's because we are the villains. 
And Jesus chose to be the victim so that we could become the overcomers. So now that we have made what we tend to take very serious, made fun of it, let's unwind it a little bit. And we'll take you down memory lane for the last few weeks and we, week one of the Overcomer series three weeks ago. And we, went to, we dove in, we, we introduced everybody to this man named Nehemiah who took a risky, radical step of faith. And in that risky step of faith, we saw God began to do what everybody considered was impossible. For 93 years, they considered it to be impossible. And one man stepped on the scene, and in a matter of a few days, all of a sudden, the impossible became possible. He took a risky step, and he unlearned what was impossible. We, too, we, we, we applied this, and we said, you know, we, we're discovering that opinions really don't matter. Nobody's opinion matters, that we are, regardless of what anyone says or any opinion that's given, according to God's Word, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us and gave His life for us. Last week, week three, we exposed the highs and the lows of enthusiasm alone. But we learned that, you know what, enthusiasm, when it has a deeper mission that it is attached to, beyond just the excitement of the moment, it is the catalyst for overcoming every single failure you will ever face in life. It's what makes failure seem like just a victory in waiting, when enthusiasm is connected to something deeper than just the excitement alone. And this week, we're diving into... But what about when it seems like we put in all the effort and given all the belief from the core of our being and it was all for nothing? I don't know, have you, ever, have you figured out yet that it doesn't always work out the way that we really hoped and believed it would? It doesn't always come, it doesn't always just end smooth and doesn't always just, everybody doesn't say, oh, how awesome you are, you helped me so much. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes. They take the meal you've given and just like, but I didn't want mayonnaise on it. I used to help a man out, sometimes always talking to me about how hungry he was, couldn't get a job, couldn't get a job. So one day, I bought him quite a few meals. One day I was like, you know what? I'm not buying this guy a chicken box while I go home and eat a sandwich every day anymore. I said, I'll tell you what, man. I said, load up. He said, what are we doing? I said, you going home with me to eat? I drove from Ferry. We're talking the whole way I get to the day. He said, where are we going? I said, you're going to my house. I said, I figured, you know what? You can eat what I eat. And he was like, what, what are you going to have? I said, we're going to have sandwiches when we get there. He's like, I ain't eating no sandwich. I'm like, well, you ain't going to my house. He said, well, you might as well take me back. Turn around the day, took him back to fair, and then I turned around came back home to eat. I was like, you don't, ask for another, don't ask me for anything else if you're not going to appreciate it. It doesn't always, you know, to me, I thought, I was like, man, this guy's going to come home, he's going to eat a sandwich, he's going to get saved, it's going to be good. That's how it was in my mind. You know, it doesn't always work out the way we think, does it? But next week, I got to admit, is what I'm really, really stoked about. Because the biggest week so far, he's a mentor, he's a hero, he's a fearless leader, someone who has helped us immensely through very hard times, who has gave wisdom in very good times. Dr. Brassfield is going to be here and he's going to kick off a brand new series that will lead us all the way up into the Easter season as we kick off No Other Name. I want to tell you, it is a definite huge invite weekend next weekend. Next weekend, you, you want to do every, go ahead, challenge, let the Sheriff's Department follow you on the way to tr church because you just load up the back of the truck and it's like, wow, all these people in the back of the truck, you know you're not supposed to do that. Say, yes, sir, I'm sorry, officer, but you got a few minutes to spare. We're going to church. I got to load them up. It's that kind of weekend, all right? So I'm just telling you, don't miss out. But let's dive back in. What happens when everything falls apart after it has been miraculously restored, though? 
it doesn't just not work out the way you hope, but it actually does. And then it just seems to all be pulled out from under you like the rug out from under the feet. What happens when everything falls apart after it's miraculously been restored? Like, what happens when the, when the child that you put through program after program, and then they come home, and they're awesome for a week, and then go right back to the addiction? What happens when, you know what, somebody helped, you helped somebody find a job, and you, you thought you were doing good, and they were starting to get on their feet, and then they didn't show up for the next week? What happens when the writer of Romans says, in, eight, in Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. And then just like two sentences later, he says, what shall we say then about wonderful things like this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he just rolls right into this and he says, and as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are being killed every day. We are like sheep. We are slaughtered. What happens, you know what, we like to quote verse 28 during or after the slaughter for encouragement to get through. But he brings it out before the slaughter. So it's not just like a, a post or, or a freak out verse. It's an application before the devastation. Apparently, who can be against us did not mean nobody would. Because all the, things, all the things that we ever do for good, they don't always look the way we expect at the end or when it comes out. So what happens? I know we're driving this, but we've got to drive it. What happens when everything is falling apart? What happens when everything seems lost? What happens when it feels like the weight, all the weight, if anything good is going to come out, all the weight is resting on your shoulders? I wonder, have you ever felt like that in your household? Like, I am the only one who is trying here, and I am the only one who is trying to work it out here, and I am the only one that is forgiven here, and I keep getting accused and accused, and nobody else putting the ever. I guess, I believe you though, God, if anything good is going to happen, I guess it's just going to happen through me because nobody else is on board, but I'm going to have you ever felt the weight that if anything good is coming, then obviously it must come through you? What a weight to bear. Nehemiah. Talking about Nehemiah in the Bible. That wall that we've been looking at for the last three weeks that was built, it was never started for 93 years, though it could have been. It was a sign of safety. It was a sign of God's favor. It was a sign of security. It was a sign of, you know what, God didn't just pull us out, out, of, the, out, of, out of the mud, but he set us up in a brand new life. And for 93 years, it sat there. And then they, Nehemiah's inspiration come in and led it, and it was rebuilt in just 52 days. 93 years. And because of the safety, once those 52 days were up, because of the safety it showed the world, because it showed God's hand and favor was on them, when the wall, the wall displayed so much more than just brick and mortar. And as a result of that, there were 42,360 other people who said, I'm going back to a place like that. That's where I'm going. Listen, like there's a lot of you in here that, you know what, you came through here, here as a youth and you went out and you took the highways and the byways and the high highways and you've done every kind of witcher thing and you cycled back in. And you know what it is? It's because you see what God is doing and he's opened up a place for you to fit in and be a part of the good work that he is doing to continue through you. There's people in older years, you cycled out and you cycle back, and it's because you begin to see what God is doing. And you say, you know what? If God do it through them, then surely he'll do it through me. And you're a part of God's rescue plan for this region. As we begin to see thousands come to Christ. 
It's amazing what happens when people begin to see God's hand of favor. And once all the, the building process was over, the religious devotion was restored in their life. On one day, they reactivated the temple then. On the temple, in the temple, Ezra, a priest, he came out. And he started reading the law of Moses from early morning all the way up till noon. You picture 93,000 people out here from early morning till noon. And he's reading stuff like, you know what, don't, you know, men, do not cut the, the sidings of your beards that hang down. And, you know, if you've done some kind of sin, then get two turtle doves and bring them to the priest and split them in half and drain the blood. And he will sprinkle the blood on the altar and light it up. And, 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 and they're going through all these things that were the law at that time for half a day. People are like, oh, and they're into it, and they're zoned in. And 23 days later, it says the whole town of 97,360 people, when, when, you take, and when you take that 97,360 people and you add in the addition of uh, the births that's happened over the past 93 years and the subtractions of the death, which as you can see by our populations, the births always overtake the deaths. And the, the rate is always a little bit more to the favor of the birthing. And so um, and literally, it's got to be hundreds of thousands of people. If you've ever been to a large event, a large concert, and you're like, man, there's 4,000 people here. It's awesome. There's hundreds of thousands of people without a light or a microphone or a speaker or a security team or an organizer at all. For a man to, to come out and he begins to read again for three hours. And for three hours he read again from the books of the law. And they're like, wow. And it says in the following three hours after that, they all begin to repent and worship God. I'm going to tell you what, if you're repenting for three hours, then we're past the stage of just saying, Lord, forgive and Father, forgive us of all the sins we may or may not know that we have committed. The little cheesy prayer, you know? You're way beyond that if you're confessing for three hours. You're getting into some details, some junk. We're getting, we're getting into that humility round. We're like, I know what I did. And this is what I'm repenting of and turning away from. And for three hours they worshiped God. I mean, this is insane. And they came out, not only that, but they had fasted and they prayed and they listened. And something significant happened during those good times. And what always happens in the great times. For week one, two, and three, we started off and we met a guy named Sam Ballot. And then he had his friend named Tobiah. But week two, they brought in a buddy named Gershom with them. They were a trio. By last weekend, they brought in other nations to fight what God was doing through the people and to bring, to bring confusion to everybody. But in, once everything is restored, there's not an enemy name mentioned anywhere in this phase that we're covering so quickly. Nehemiah's like 13 chapters. Y'all dive in on it because we're skipping so much. There's no mention of this guy named Tobiah. No mention of Sambalat. No mention of anyone else who was opposed to every single step of restoration they took. And Nehemiah actually stayed with these people for 12 years. I don't know if you had this in your family. I know it happens. It's quite common. Um, depending on, you know, if you're the real chain breaker in your family genealogy that is breaking the, the life cycle that has been going on for generation after generation generation, and you're, and if you happen to be the one that steps in, it's like, no, but it stops with me. This pattern is not continuing longer. You tend to catch a lot of conflict from family and from people close by you. What do you want to do that for? You were saved when you were born. I don't know what you're talking about. The priest dipped you and dunked you and we catechismed you and, and we offered bread for you. You're, you're good. You don't have to do all that stuff. You tend to catch a lot of conflict. But these people, they've now been restored. 
And Sambal and Tobiah the whole time were like, you don't need that. You don't need that. What are y'all doing? A fight after fight after fight. And Nehemiah has been with these people now for 12 years. When he asked the king, for, when Nehemiah in chapter 2, he asked the king, he said, look, can I disappear for a little while? He took it to a whole nother level. When he said, can I, I need some time off? He was talking about 12 years. This is no joke. When you go to your boss and say, look, I need a little time off. Good. How much do you need? Oh, about 12 years. And with pay. Sure, go ahead, take it. Especially, no matter, but you know what? No matter what happens, a lot can be forgotten in just 12 years, can it? You realize this? I find out all the time of things that I have forgotten. Especially things that were fun or good. I mean, not long ago, I got reminded of a really great memory uh, in my later teenage years. Uh, a buddy, my brother-in-law had given a buddy of mine an old Toyota truck. And if any of you go a little further back, it was a, uh, the, the little mid-sized Toyota, and it was a diesel when Toyota tried and failed on that for a little while. And, and so it had been sitting in the back of his yard for a long time. They put a little diesel in it, sprayed a little ether or something, I don't know, and it run. And so uh, we, he got and drove around for a little while until something started messing up. So we just had a really cool idea. There was nothing invested in this truck. It was just given. It was old. And a bunch of teenagers don't have any money. Let's hook a chain to it and see, pull it behind the four-wheel drive and see if we can roll it around the field. You know, let's see if we can create this. And so we did, and we struggled, and we slung it all over the field trying to get this thing rolling and doing And I totally forgot about this. What a shame until a few months ago, my brother-in-law reminded me, he said, you don't remember that? And I was like, nah, he took me down memory lane a little bit. I was like, I do have a little bit of a memory. And he said, yeah, I was really upset. I gave you the truck, and there y'all are flipping it right in front of my house. I thought, I forget the good stuff sometimes. Twelve years. Twelve years, a lot can be forgotten. Especially... When in that 12 years, we began to gravitate out of a relationship in our spiritual journey, and we began to gravitate towards just a routine that has no real significance. When then we gravitate out of that passionate relationship to just a time schedule and a time slot and a Bible reading time and a prayer offering and a, and a gift giving, and we just make it a routine and we disengage from the relational aspect. Let me ask you, what used to alarm you that's not an issue anymore? What used to like just send the flags of like, oh no, but now it's like, eh, no big deal. The thing about it in our, in our locale, the, the, lo, the last time the river was at this phase, the Mississippi River coming through our area, last time, what, the trucks, you had, to, you had to wait to get on the highway. Why? Because everybody moving furniture, right? We're moving furniture and we're borrowing money against our house to make the flood insurance go speed into effect, which wouldn't have worked. We found out after it was all over and done. You know, and all, everybody, the banks are working long hours and all kind of crazy stuff. And because, oh man, panic, panic. What's happening now? Who cares? No big deal. Ain't nothing going to happen. Isn't it amazing how a little bit of time goes by and things change? This country. We will consistently, I can tell you, I can predict it for you at least the direction of the elections from here to eternity. I mean, you know, I, can, I can predict it before you go into the voting booth. I can likely, no matter what you vote, can predict the outcome. It's just, it's this incredible gift I have, and it's just, all it requires is just coming a little bit out of stupidity. Because what it is, is this country will consistently, as a group of people, will consistently vote out the opposite leadership 
for the new one. And the ones that the leadership people despise nowadays will be voted out for somebody who is completely opposite, who will become the despised to be voted out and completely opposite. And the cycle goes on and on and on and on and on, whether that's a two-year, four-year, eight-year, whatever that is. The cycle is always just over and over and over. And if you have a small bit of sense, you know what, we begin to step back and we begin to observe and begin to wonder in all of life, does it, anything really even matter? Does anything make any difference when it's always back and forth and forth and back and back and forth? And if we aren't careful, what has happened is we will take the principles of this world and we will apply them to the spiritual formation of our lives. It may go into the aspect of saying, well, you know, that's how it was, but I kind of got over it. And so, oh man, how did I get here? I'm ready to get back my relationship with Jesus. And we'll go back and forth. Just like someone that has sometimes an abusive or absent father. And we'll strive coming to Jesus, but always has kind of a father issue because we project the, the abusiveness or the absence upon God. As if he is in the image of our earthly father. And we, 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 we see him as the absent when really he was the only one that's always been ever present. Watch Nehemiah. Nehemiah 13.4. It says, Eliashad, the priest, who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of God, who was a relative of Tobiah, he's back, had converted, verse 5, a large storage room at the temple and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offering, the frankincense, the various articles, the temple, and the tithes and new wine and olive oil and all that good stuff. Tobiah, Tobiah, Tobiah who was mad that somebody even wanted to help. Tobiah who was mad that anybody had any kind of good desire for the people that were living in despair. Tobiah who fought the entire time every good work. Tobiah who plotted failed murder attempts on failed murder attempts on Nehemiah, the one who was helping. Tobiah who constantly mocked, who constantly discouraged the people. Tobiah, what in the world? He now has a room. He's like a junior high. I guess Nehemiah walked back in town and he looks on the storage room of the temple and he looks and it's like, yo, Tobiah's room, keep out. You know, enter at your own risk. Like a junior high kid would do on a bedroom door. Can you imagine? I wonder, Tobiah, who constantly discouraged the people. Yeah, a very serious question. Who constantly discourages you that you continue to accept their input into your life? I'm not saying you avoid and run from people, but who's, who's a constant discouragement that you continue to put value on what they say? And accept their input. What, what places maybe destroy you that you continue to go back to? I know, it's going to be different this time. going to be different this time. Tobiah! A room in the temple kicked out the stuff of God. By the way, today, you and I, who believe on Jesus, are the temple of God. You see the spiritual parallels here. Nehemiah continues in verse 13, verse 7. And said, Nehemiah says, When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashab's evil deeds in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset. I threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I determined that the room was to be purified and I brought back the articles of God's temple 
the grain offerings and the frankincense. A lot of us are singing, you know, we sing stuff. There's a song we sing in church called No Devil Not Today. It's like, no devil not today, no devil not today, what, however it goes. And, and that's great. But also, you know what, we got to have some lines there. Like, not tomorrow, not the next day, not the next day, not ever because my Jesus rescued me. He calls me an overcomer. So it's, it's, it's never, ever, ever, no devil, not ever. No devil, no way, no day. My Jesus has brought me from too far away. You know, what do you do when it appears, though, that all you fought for is still thrown away? What happens when the miracle that happened, but time has now passed? What happens when you feel like you're the only one that even cares, so why keep on? And if you ever feel that way, you know what? That is exactly Nehemiah's story. But it's not only Nehemiah's story. It's a parallel of someone who would come much later after Nehemiah. And it's a parallel of someone who's lasted much longer. And it's a parallel of someone who's restored a whole lot more. And it's a parallel of someone who is a lot more capable of a whole lot more of the impossible. It's a parallel of the story of Jesus Christ. And what happens when he is given his life to rescue us? And we just decide to throw it away over some challenges. Or we decide to throw it away over some hurt feelings and somebody's opinion. And I didn't like the way. And we throw away sometimes what Christ done in life. We throw it away over what appears like a failure after we have surrendered so much. Well, for Nehemiah, his strategy was, what happens when I come back in town and I see that it seems like everything is lost and the people just, I've been here for 12 years and got everything established, everything done, thought it was a smooth running deal. I was just coming back for a vacation to see how my mom was doing because I heard she'd been ailing and then I see all, everything is just falling apart and everything is dropped to the wayside. What am I going to do? And, well, Nehemiah's strategy was, you know what, I'm going to just begin to remind the people of where they come from and who they are. I'm going to begin to remind the people of where they come from and who they are. Why? Because so often the defeat is in the thoughts, right? The defeat is in how we see ourselves. The defeat is in how we see the future. The defeat is how we predict what's ahead based on what we're going through right now in our, in our mental, human intellect kind of deal. The prediction so far. You know, it works like this. You know what? Thoughts. Here's some example of thoughts that determine our day. Anger. Are grateful, bitter, or forgiving. When bitterness rises up or forgiveness rises up. Thoughts and th things that come to us. You know what? I'm going to be loving. Or I'm worthless. Or no, I'm a child of God. And there's truth. We cannot control the thoughts that come into our mind. But we do control what we do with the thoughts once they come. We choose whether to hold them or to throw them in the garbage can like the used styrofoam plate. You know, we, we choose what to do. Think of it like this. The, a thought, and sometimes people are like, well, how do I know where that thought comes from? It works like this. A thought from God will always bring an inspiration. A thought from the devil will always bring a temptation. What's the inspiration? You just did something bad to me, but you know what? I remember the loving that God put inside of me. I remember how he changed me. What's, what's, what's the inspiration? It seems like nothing works out in my favor, but I remember I'm a child of God, so it's going to be okay. What's the temptation? Nothing ever goes my way. I'm just worthless. I don't even know why I would try. What's the, temp what's the temptation? I can't believe they will never do that to me again. I'll tell you, I'll be on my guard. 
I'm not going to put up with it anymore. Temptation. Temptation. Nehemiah reminded them of who they were when their choices were according to who they were when they were defeated. And then he reminded them also of who they were according to who they used to be and what God had restored them to. He reminded the people who they were and he reminded them who the real enemy was and even if the enemy got nicer, the enemy hadn't changed. You know, you come into the New Testament and starting at the end in Revelations, it says, he tells this, this is the definition, this is the thoughts, these are the, the plans, these are the descriptions that God gives of us of who we are. It says you are an overcomer. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of the testimony. The end of that says, and you, when that happens, you're not even afraid of life all the way up till death. You know what, he steps back and we, we look back a few ch- books and we go into Romans and the ch- verses we've been covering for a little while that says, you know what, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthens you, who loves you. If you back up a little bit more and you, you, you look into Ephesians, it says, you know what, you are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works he planned for you a long time ago. You know, if you, if, you, if you dig in a little bit more, you see in Philippians, it says, you know what, I am crucified with Christ. No longer the life that I live, do I live unto me, but I live unto the Son of God who gave Himself on my behalf. It's, 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 it's now not I, but He who lives within us. In Acts, it simplifies it all. It says, you know what, it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you shall be saved. And in Romans, again, it talks about, it says, and by that belief you are determined as righteous, right standing in God's sight, righteous. These descriptions are who you are in Christ. For Jesus to remind people of who they were, it looked like this in Luke 23. In the worst of moments, in the, in the cross moments, he looked upon the people who were, who were ripping him apart and who were, who were gambling over his robe while he's in great suffering. And he says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. He was, forgive them. They're ignorant right now. But there's still hope. Because I'm dying and they're not. And his last breath to a repentant criminal on the cross. The criminal says, please remember me. Jesus, in today's translation, says, see you in a minute. It says, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, to the man who gave up all of his worldly prestige and riches and fame and wealth to be tortured for Christ, it looked like some of the verses we've been covering, but we're going to step back one to verse 35 in Romans 8. And Paul said, can, you, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Does it mean that he doesn't love us if we're persecuted? Does it mean he doesn't love us if we ever are hungry? Does it mean he doesn't love us if we are destitute or if we're in danger or if we're threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we fail. we're killed every day. And we are being slaughtered like sheep, he says. And then he finishes out. He says, no, none of that matters. Because despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us, who loved us. The question today is this, how do we steward, meaning how do we care for, how, how, do, how, how, do, we, how do we handle, how, how do we, with good care, custody, and control, uh, how do we steward the miracle of God? The miracles that God does in your life. So, so he delivered you out of cancer. Praise God. Now how do you steward that and don't just go back into saying, well, now I can smoke 25 packs a day because, you know, I made it. Sorry, just kind of, you know, I got stressed one day. 
How, how, do you, how do we steward the miracle when he's rescued out of depression and the de- next t- day that he rolls around, you feel like drawing the blinds back down again not to ever open them up? How do we steward the miracle when we know the, 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 the restoration he did in the relationship uh, that, that you're in, but then all of a sudden one day you're just like, why does it even matter? Because somebody came home later, you found out there was some other bad news in there. How do we steward the miracle in regard to the events that still sometimes come? And it's simple. Nehemiah laid it out. Jesus laid it out. By remembering where he brought you from and remembering where he is leading you to. By remembering where he brought you from and where God is leading you to and who you are in Christ because Christ is in you. When we remember where we've come from, we remember who we are, we remember where we're going, then all of a sudden the moment that seems so frustrating becomes just a moment and not a determination of the rest of our life anymore. He took the weight, Jesus did. He gave the most on our behalf. And no matter the upside down moment, it does not predict the complete outcome ever. Of what, the moment does not. Don't turn away from where Christ raised you to. I remember, well, um, I had to memorize a verse to go to church camp when I was a kid. And I just memorized the same verses every year. So they stuck with me. They never meant anything until after I gave my life to the Lord. And it was the very first thing I remember. In Psalms 42 and 3, it says, And he, he brought me up out of a horrible pit. And now the mark like... And he set my feet on a rock, and he established my ways. It's planted, it's established, it's set. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rock path going through this river. And it says, and he put a new song in my mouth, and even praise unto our God. And many will see it in fear, and will trust in the Lord. Check this out. So here, we're going to do it again. So he brought up me up out of a horrible pit. This is for anybody who believes in Christ. He brought you up out of a horrible pit. He brought you up. You thought, man, I will never get out. I'm always stuck. No matter what happens. He brought you up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set your feet up high on the rock. You're out of the junk. You're cleaned off. You're good. It says, and all of a sudden you get up here and you're like that bird in the morning. You're like, whoo, you're singing. And it says that he puts a new song in the mouth because we were already singing. We were just singing about how every light in my house is on and she didn't come home and all this before. But now we got a different song going on. Sorry, I went a little far back on that. Um, but now we got a different song that we sing. And it says that many shall see the song. How in the stinking world are you going to see a song? I don't know. But he said you're going to see the song and many will see it. And it says in fear, which means have a respect and awe, amazement for God. And we'll turn to Him. Tell you what it looks like. It looks like people who spent 93 years doing nothing. 93 years in despair in the book of Nehemiah when it opens up. 93 years of sitting dead on water. 93 years of believing all is hopeless. Nehemiah comes along. He brings some encouragement. He brings some inspiration. He says, you know what? We've got to unlearn what's impossible. We've got to begin to take some risky, radical, crazy steps. And we don't care what Sam about to buy or nobody's mama has to say about it. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, we're in, we're in. And he says, you know, it's gonna, there's going to be some setbacks. But we're going to keep going. And all of a sudden and what happens is they see. They see in him. 
And he brings other people up. And they begin to, they get up here. And what happens in 52 days, they complete a wall. What happens in 52 days after they complete a wall? All of a sudden, there are 42,360 people that go, wow, I see the hand of God on them. I see because they have never been here. They could never get through. They've been living in despair. These people are living in radical hope. I see what's happening. And now I am drawn to that. I am drawn to the restoration. That's what it looks like whenever God pulls you up to everybody that is around you. You've got a new song, a new way. And there is no force that can separate you, the scripture said, or destroy you or invalidate you because the faith was never attached to what we have done, but it is attached to who has done it in us, for us, and through us. The faith is attached to the rescuer, not any of the activity of the rescued. And there are days in my mind, there are days in my mind that I am a complete failure as a husband. But I have to remember that I am an overcomer, and I am loving, and I am a protector, and I am a leader when I remember that Christ is the one who brought us together. There are days and I, that I am a complete failure as a dad. I'm just glad my kids are patient enough to not amen me right now. But I am secure and I am constant. I am a source of strength and guidance and rescue. When I remember that in Christ, I am fearfully and wonderfully made for exactly this. I am a horrible communicator most days in my head that I've just spent the past 40 minutes doing. Tell you the truth, I'm talking to you right now and I'm feeling like, you know what, nothing came out right. I am a horrible communicator in my head. But when I accept who I am in Jesus, I realize, you know what, He makes the weak strong. He uses the fool to bring to shame those who are wise in the ways of the world. The wisdom of this world is foolishness compared to God. So many days, in the Reed household, man, there are needs. There is no way for what the Reeds had to cover the expense in the Reed household. Yet when we remember who we are, that you know what? Our Father is an abundant provider. And we remember that according to His principle, we give and it shall be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. When we give, it should be given. And so the greatest provisions we discover is, you know what, does not come out of worrying about what's ahead. Our greatest provision comes out of what we give and not what we hold in fear. I wonder, who am I talking to today that you feel the failure? You feel the failure because there's something that just keeps going on and it's like, will it ever stop? Will I ever get out? Will it ever get any better? Will it ever, ever, ever not be back and forth and back and forth and back and forth? Will it ever actually be a progression? Will there ever be a true continual growing that has happened? I wonder who I'm talking to today that maybe you're feeling a failure. Maybe, you know what, that you're feeling like there's not, every, all the weight relies on my shoulders. All the hope is if anything good is going to come out, it's, I, I 
I got to just keep on. I got to keep on. I got to suck it up and deal with it. And somebody, if anything's going to happen, somebody's got to do it. Might as well be. I wonder in here whoever feels like the failure of like, why in the world have I put so much time into this person and this family and this situation if it just keeps turning out like this? I just don't see. I wonder who in here ever feels like the failure says, you know what? I've been to church so many times and I've read my Bible so much and I've memorized my three verses in the last 13 years and whatever and what has it all got me and you feel like the failure and to you today if God has his way he sent his son to say my grace is enough for you it's sufficient And he continues on and he says, For it is in our weakness that his strength is revealed the clearest. And your weakness, it allows the strength of Christ to shine out. I love that Nehemiah didn't come back in and just like, Forget all y'all. Mom, come on. Getting you and my brothers out of here. These people are sorry. I'm glad he didn't do that. I'm glad he just looked patiently. He went to the enemy's room and said, your junk is getting out of this temple. Translation today, your junk is getting out of my life. I'm not listening to it anymore. I'm not giving you a nice place to trade with me anymore. I'm not going to dabble on you anymore. No, devil, not today. I'm glad that Nehemiah said, he began to remind them, do you remember God's hand favor that has been upon you this whole time? Let's get back. Let's follow that path. Let's go back with the restoration plan of our Savior. I'm so glad he began to remind them of who they were and where they come from. Did you forget that in just 52 days you saw what you thought was impossible for 93 years? You see what happens when you just rely on God even when it does not make sense? I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder who in here today says, that is exactly me. I am to the place that I'm done. I'm at the place I just don't know what to do next. I'm at the place that I am tired and I am sick and tired. And I'm just asking if that, is, if that just resonates with your heart whatsoever. If you are, I just want to pray for you from a distance. I want to connect you with some great people. If that is you said, Danny, I am tired. This was for me. I need to know that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Because I'm down for the last count. And I'm wondering how many back and forth I can go. I needed some hope today. And that's why I'm here today. If that is you all over our tour, would you just stand up? And say, yes, that is me, but today is the day that the devil's victory is over. The devil's win in my life is over. Anybody that's going to stand up and say, you know what? Today is the day that I, I leave hopelessness for hopeful. Today is the day that I say, you know what? N not destitution, not desperation, not persecution, not, not kicking out, not rejection. Nothing separates me from the love of Christ. I'm hanging back on that I am an overcomer, and I am victorious, and I am a conqueror. I wonder, I wonder who else in here today will say, you know what, also today, today is the day that I came in here to discover I don't have to be good enough. My Jesus has done it all for me. He's got much better names than I've been called myself. And today, for the very first time, in a way that you understand, you're saying today, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I am trusting Him to the best that I understand at this time, more clearly than I ever have before, that Jesus gave His life on the cross, 
He paid for your sins. He resurrected that you have everlasting hope. Salvation is secured. And righteousness, right standing with God is established. That is you all over the auditorium. Would you just take a stand? Just to up off the feet, just right where you are, and to say, that is me. Today, I am giving my life to Jesus Christ. Today, in a way that I understand, I'm not going to be passive-aggressive anymore. I'm, I've always been, a, we are all addicted. We just decide what we're going to be addicted to. And we can be addicted to despair, and we can be di- addicted to everything that has a short-time life that takes us down the, a road that we wish we'd never went down. Or we can just be addicted to hope, and addicted to faith, and addicted to the resurrection power of a Savior. Addicted to being made strong in the midst of our weakness. We can be addicted to radical, impossible, unimaginable, makes-no-sense kind of hope. We, we choose where our addiction is going. If there's anyone else in the house that says, you know what, today is the day. I'm giving my life to Jesus. Not passive-aggressive anymore. I'm being bold. I'm making a step. And I'm trusting Him. If that is you all over the auditorium. Just take a stand. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. We're going to pray. And as we pray, if you would, can we all stand up? We're going to close in the song of worship. We're going to pray. We're going to close in the song of worship. And if you stood today, or if you wish you would, I want to connect you. There's, a, there's what we call a salvation team. They're a prayer team. that wants to pray with you. They're right here in the middle. There's, there's Caleb and Candace and Melissa right down the middle. And their heart's desire, you're going to see them turning and looking like this. They're looking for your eyes to say, you know what? There's a wall of safety right here. It's safe here. And they want to pray with you. They want to communicate with you. They want to meet needs. If you've got needs, the church needs to meet. And you need it, but you need to talk about it probably. They're here for you today. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that hope is securing you. I thank you that you gave up heaven for us to lose the defeat of earth. We confess our sins to you today. Reveal to us today how to be more surrendered to you and know more clearly who we are in you. In Jesus' name, Everybody said, amen, amen. amen. The band's going to play. We're going to close.